five, six, seven, eight. Break a leg. Hello, wild and untamed things. Welcome back to Break a Leg Babble. Get ready to time warp on over to the Frankenstein place because for part four of our stagey spook series, we are chatting about one of my personal favorites, the Rocky Horror Show. Whether you're a regular Frankie fan or a clueless virgin, join us as we take a strange journey through the show's history, cult status, and our favorite things about the ultimate Halloween musical. For the virgins who aren't in the know. The Rocky Horror Show follows newly engaged sweethearts Brad and Janet on a trip to visit their old friend and mentor Dr. Everett Scott. When their car breaks down during a thunderstorm, they seek shelter at a castle belonging to the mysterious Dr. Frankenfurter. They soon discover that the doctor is celebrating his newest project, that he has made a man. With blonde hair and a tan. Who is to be born that very night? Brad and Janet find themselves trapped to bear witness to this once-in-a-lifetime event. While looking for work in the London theatre scene, actor and musician Richard O'Brien penned The Rocky Horror Show, drawing inspiration from rock and roll, comic books, and B-movies to create his take on the classic Frankenstein story. The Rocky Horror Show premiered on June 16, 1973 at the Royal Court Theatre Upstairs. The show's creative team included O'Brien, director Jim Sharman set designer Brian Thompson, and producer Michael White. Cast members of this original production included Tim Curry as Dr. Frankenfurter, Richard O'Brien himself as Riff Raff, Patricia Quinn as Magenta, and newcomer Little Nell Campbell as Columbia. The Rocky Horror Show continued to grow in popularity, switching to larger venues and eventually completing a seven-year run in London's West End. In 1974, producer Lou Adler secured the rights for a stage production of the musical in the U.S. The show then opened on the Sunset Strip at Adler's Club, The Roxy, on March 24, 1974. This production featured a brand new cast, with the exception of Tim Curry, who remained in the role of Frankenfurter. Future rock star Meatloaf joined the show for its L.A. run in the role of Eddie and Dr. Scott. Adler invited executives from 20th Century Fox to the play and managed to secure a film deal. Filming of the Rocky Horror Picture Show began in October 1974 at Brace Studios, London's famous house of horror, and at a 19th century chateau. After completing the six-week shoot, it was decided to open a run of the show on Broadway as a sort of pre-release hype, building anticipation for the film's schedule release the following fall. The production was brought to the Belasco Theatre in New York City, a legitimate theatre which was converted into a cabaret-style venue by adding tables to the floor. Unfortunately, the large size of the theatre only served to destroy the intimacy which had existed at the show's previous productions. Local critics implied that the play had no place in such a cosmopolitan area such as New York. Forty-five performances later, the show closed without a trace of ever having arrived. Things didn't appear much brighter on September 25, 1975, when the Rocky Horror Picture Show had its American theatrical debut. Although the film opened to sell-out crowds in Los Angeles, the story was quite dismal almost everywhere else. The film bombed in most cities and looked to be doomed to the vaults until a strange phenomenon was observed. Although theater owners were complaining of low attendance, it seemed that a small, dedicated audience was returning for repeated viewings. While the film was still running successfully in Los Angeles, Lou Adler and Tim Deegan, 20th Century Fox marketing director for Rocky Horror, began to discuss the situation at hand. 
Together, they decided the film would need a special kind of marketing geared towards helping the film find its own unique audience. Their first step was to try Rocky Horror as a midnight movie in New York City, which was a relatively new idea at the time. Word of mouth, they decided, would be the best form of promotion. Let the audience find the film and vice versa. Six months after its initial release, Rocky Horror hit the midnight movie circuit with a re-edited ending, sans the downbeat superheroes and science fiction reprise, by opening at the Waverly Theater in Greenwich Village. Within weeks, the Rocky Horror Picture Show was also playing at several other theaters throughout the country at the witching hour. The audience continued to grow steadily and in addition began to develop a special relationship with the movie. In LA, many of the same people who attended multiple performances at the Roxy were attending the movie on a nightly basis. These people were actually singing along with the songs as early as opening week and calling out 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, Eat Your Heart Out, and Miller from the Roxy soundtrack's Time Warp. At first, it surfaced in small ways. Someone might hold up a teddy bear during the Eddie's Teddy number, or a group of viewers would bring noisemakers to rattle during the creation scene. Although no one knows for certain what the first audience comeback was, some people were already calling out, Antissa, say it, patient, before the movie hit the midnight scene. And doing the time warp in the aisles during the closing credits became an essential part of the Rocky Horror experience very early on. A ritual began to develop around attending a Rocky Horror screening. Its glittery, colorful palette inspired people to dress up in outrageous costumes, usually designed to mimic the movie's main characters. Groups of regulars developed loyalty to the Rocky Horror venue wherever it played. In early 1977, the first full-fledged official dress-up group emerged at the Fox Venice Theater in Los Angeles. The Rocky Horror Review performed a staged lip-sync Rocky Horror act on the Fox stage in between the evening's two screenings. Possibly the most noteworthy group emerged at the Waverly Theater. This industrious ensemble was one of the earliest and most enduring of all the performing groups, eventually becoming the founders of the official Rocky Horror Picture Show fan club. At its peak, the New York-based National Fan Club boasted over 20,000 active members worldwide, according to fan club president Sal Pyro. In its earlier run, it was noticed that the film's attendance seemed to rise when one of these live groups was performing. The wackier the audience, the bigger the draw. By the end of 1977, Rocky Horror had mutated into a multimedia event, a loud and boisterous come-as-you-are party where anything could and often did happen. Don't dream it, be it was Rocky's central message, and the ever-increasing audience took it to heart. Attending the Rocky Horror Picture Show was an experience that could be compared to no other. Where else could you go out at midnight dressed in lingerie and hang out with a couple hundred other free spirits? Soon, annual and semi-annual conventions were held in celebration of Rocky Horror, and many great friendships were formed throughout its faithful cult. In 2000, the Rocky Horror Show was revived on Broadway with much success, only ending its run early because of financial losses during the time following 9-11. The musical still continues to be produced across the U.S. and abroad. Now it's time for some Rocky Fun Facts. <gasps> My favorite part of the Mine podcast. too. <laughs> <laughs> a show like Rocky Horror is full of fun facts, so naturally we have a lot to share. So we decided the easiest way to do this was to break them up between stage and screen. Let's start with the stage show. 
Tim Curry originally auditioned for the role of Rocky with the song Tutti Frutti by Little Richard. The original U.S. Magento is Jamie Donnelly. You may recognize her as Jan from the movie musical Grease. The closing show of the theater upstairs production of Rocky was canceled due to an injury involving glitter and Rocky's shorts. The first time Meatloaf saw Tim Curry dressed as Frankenfurter, he left the theater in a panic and got a jaywalking ticket. Original Columbia, Little Nell was discovered on the street busking for change. Richard wrote, science fiction double feature as a prompt when a friend threw a science fiction book at him and told him to write what he knows. The iconic lips poster concept was inspired by artwork created by Man Ray. Now let's move on to some behind-the-scenes surprises from the movie version. The different set of Jaws film poster featuring just the lips at the top was a spoof of the Jaws movie poster, which came out the same year. During the dinner scene when Frank reveals Eddie's body, the reactions on the actors' faces are genuine. Only Tim Curry knew about the prop under the table. Makeup design on the film was by Pierre Laroche, who created David Bowie's iconic lightning bolt look. The coffin clock in the movie contains a real-life skeleton. Oakley Court, which served as Frankenfurter's castle, is now a hotel you can stay in. Susan Sarandon caught pneumonia after shooting the pool scene in Don't Dream It, Be It, due to the poor heating conditions. The famous lips belong to Patricia Quinn, though the vocals are done by Richard O'Brien. To achieve the film sequence of just lips, a black piece of felt was placed over the camera. Many of the Transylvanias were from The Ugly Agency, which was created upon supporting actors of all looks, shapes, and sizes. What many might not know is that the Rocky Horror Picture Show has an equal called Shock Treatment, which happens to be my personal favorite of the two. And now, as lifelong fans of the Rocky Horror Show, we're going to share with you some of our experiences. Gosh, okay. I can't really remember how I came across the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I feel like it's just always been in my life. I love The Strange and Unusual. It always catches my attention. Cult classics. I'm here for it all. (laughs) Um, I do have a vague memory of being really young and watching the film version while eating apple crisp during one October. Uh, I'm not sure if that was my first time ever, but it really stands out in my mind for me, so I assume it must have been. But throughout my life, I've been so fortunate to have met people with a mutual love of the musical. I can recall doing the time warp with a friend, and later we filmed ourselves creating our own dance routines to Damn It, Janet, and And we also learned the guitar just to cover science fiction double feature. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I just I really feel that there's a special connection from heart to heart when meeting another Rocky fan. I guess these days it's it's far more popularized within the media. So it's rare to meet someone who doesn't have any knowledge of Rocky Horror at all. But to meet someone who truly loves everything it stands for is so beautiful and so important. Oh, and there was also a super fun Halloween back in high school where my group of friends and I dressed up as characters. I was magenta, of course, because Janet was simply too close to my everyday style. (laughs) Um, But unfortunately, I've not yet been in a production of Rocky Horror because while the show screams inclusivity, the yearly productions here tend to cast the same performers almost every year. Lots of pre-casting going on, but I really do hope to play a gender bend uh, Eddie or Janet someday. (laughs) How about you? I've actually performed in a production of the Rocky Horror Show. 
and it ended up being one of the craziest, most amazing things that I've ever done. Uh, first off, this show is a workout. Um, I was one of the phantoms. So from the time warp through to the end of Act One, which for movie fans, that's usually after the I'll Make You a Man reprise. It's more or less nonstop dance. We were so lucky to have Melissa Williams as our director and choreographer. So for those who are familiar with her work, know just how physically demanding it can be. And uh, for those who don't know, I definitely looked like I had been in the shower by the time we got to the end of that first act. (laughs) But I loved having the opportunity to dance my ass off to those amazing tunes. Secondly, I was really shy before doing Rocky. Um, It totally and completely forced me out of my shell. And the way I kind of put it is when you're dancing around in what's basically a corset and underwear for two and a half hours, um, you really have two choices. You can either hate it or you can just be confident in yourself and your body because there's nowhere to hide. Um, And Rocky, it's such a weird and sexy show and you know I could do the weird but I really struggled with finding the sexy and uh, Melissa was so wonderful about that and spoke to I think what one of the key themes of this show is it's that the weird the sexy it all comes from the confidence and the freedom to embrace yourself and that's the draw to Frankenfurter it's his charisma and even I think the cult like following for the show, the key to that is the freedom of self-expression and the confidence that comes from just fully embracing who you are. And lastly, just performing in a show with such a large cult following was literally insane. There were nights when you couldn't hear other actors on stage because of the constant stream of the call-outs. There was a night that I slipped on rice or whatever had been thrown on stage during one of the scenes. But I think the best part of it all, was during over at the Frankenstein place during our late night show. Uh, the Phantoms, we'd line up kind of along the castle in the dark behind a scrim, and we'd turn on flashlights to illuminate our faces when we would sing. And when we were getting into position, there was this sea of flashlights staring back at us from the audience and moving in unison. And I've literally never experienced anything quite like it on stage. The following year, we actually went, a group of my friends and I, we went and we saw the show live in Niagara Falls at O Canada A. And we'd all done the show together. We'd all seen the show. And we came dressed up. We knew every single call out. (laughs) And uh, we were the loudest people in the place. And, you know, we were a little obnoxious, but that's part of the insanity that is Rocky Horror. And it's a show that I will always take the opportunity to see and would really just love to perform in again someday. Ironically enough, the only thing that I have not done, uh, Rocky-wise, is to go see an actual midnight showing in a movie theater, because I live in a very small town. But that is an item that is on my bucket list. And now for some listener questions. All right. Question number one. What is your favorite call-out? So I'm going to be super basic here and say, how strange was it? (laughs) My personal favorite is um, a little inappropriate, but you clicked on a Rocky Horror podcast. You know what you're getting into. 
Uh, my personal favorite is when you yell, buy an umbrella, you cheap s-. We love those name callings. So, favorite song in the show? Mine would have to be Planet Hot Dog. It's just so fun. It's probably also my favorite to sing along to. But I also really, really love the classic science fiction double feature because there's so many versions out there. And each make me want to cry for one reason or another. It's a song that I really connect with Rocky Horror whenever I hear it. Even more so than Time Warp. It's just, I don't know, it's beautiful. Yeah. How about you? It's haunting and I love it. Yes. my I'm basic and my favorite song is the Time Warp. Um, Hot Patootie and Wild and Untamed Thing are like close seconds. But the one that really gets me every single time is... I'm going home. Mm. It just, it always hits me in or out of context with the show. Like it always, always hits home. It's beautiful. It's a beautifully written song. Yeah. All of these songs are really well written too, you know? Another musical that has like a brilliant soundtrack from start to finish. Yep. Yeah. Soundtrack. Score. Score. Score <laughs> because it's a musical. Right. Uh it's brilliantly scored. Yeah, definitely. Which character do you relate to the most? So I guess I grew up being a lot like Janet, and maybe she's more of a boring character in comparison, but I love that she's like, what, the only character in the show whose journey into sexual awakening is explored? I think Many people can relate to that giddy energy of something being new and different and exciting. And I just, I really relate that to her. And I relate to her with that. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I also really relate to Janet. Um, You know, I've always been so shy. And I think Janet, in the simplest terms, she finds her confidence. You know, I know that she's annoying and we all really love to give Janet a hard time. She really grows into and owns her power and that should ultimately be celebrated. Favorite album? Broadway Revival, baby. Specifically, I love it because Daphne's vocals are insanely gorgeous and so fitting with Richard O'Brien's music. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have a favorite album because... I feel like if I were to make my ideal Rocky Horror album, it would come from multiple different cast recordings and just kind of add them all up. But in the simplest terms, I've never met a recording of the Rocky Horror show that I did not like. So I don't have a favorite. (laughs) Why is Rocky Horror considered the Halloween musical? So I sent this one in. I'm genuinely <laughs> curious because it's not actually creepy in the spooky sense, is it? At least not in the way that Dracula is. You know, is it because we dress up to see the film or because Tim Curry scares me real bad as Frank, but in a way that makes me still want to give him a big old kiss? I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I can answer this question. I, I'm i qualified to answer this question, I think. I have an answer. So... The way I see it, and this is how I view Halloween in general, because I hate being scared. I would literally do anything else than be scared. Roller coasters, haunted houses, scary movies. No thank you. 
Rocky Horror is as much horror as I want in my life. Um, Halloween, it's a time where societal norms shift, all right? So it's kind of the idea that on Halloween, things that may not normally be acceptable are acceptable. Halloween is kind of the ultimate come-as-you-are party in the sense that as much as it's advertised as come-as-you're-not, there's a brilliant quote by, gosh, I can't remember who it is, but he knows his shit, so this is a legit person who said this, is that a person is more themselves when they're dressed as somebody else. And that totally encompasses and resonates with Halloween for me. It's the opportunity to do the wacky, the wild, the crazy. Like, spoiler alert, my Halloween costume this year is Elsa from Frozen. When else is it going to be acceptable for an adult woman to dress up like a Disney princess? It should be acceptable, but it's not something I'm going to do to go get groceries, right? Um, although I might do that. If, you, if we get 100 listens on this podcast episode, I'll do it. I'll go grocery shopping as Elsa. But um, the idea is that I think that that is something that is so similar to Rocky Horror. It's coming back to the idea that it is so based in and around the confidence that comes when you give yourself the freedom to be exactly who you are. And those late night showings, people were going into a space with like-minded people who also loved what was going on on screen and bought into that. It's kind of like a cult of acceptance in a way that everything at the Rocky Horror Show is acceptable, except don't throw things at actors who are performing on stage during the show that that's dangerous, but anything is acceptable at the Rocky Horror Show. And it's kind of similar with Halloween. And I think that is why they have such a strong bond. It's not just dressing up in the sense of putting on a costume. It's the ability to come as you are and embrace it and celebrate it. Yeah. Sorry, that was a little bit long. But yes, that is why it's the ultimate Halloween musical for me, because it celebrates what Halloween love truly that. is. I love it. Core. Favorite lyrics in the show. As if I don't have a thousand I could answer with, but I taste her baby pink lipstick and that's when I melt. I literally melt when I hear that line. <laughs> I love it, especially when Meatloaf sings it. Oh, yes. Yes. We love Meatloaf in this house. Oh, we do. Um, For me, it's going to sound basic, but don't dream it, be it. You know, that's... It encompasses the entire show. It's what the show's all about. And it's just also an incredible motto and mantra. It's not just like, follow your dreams. It's not just dream big. It's like, screw the dreaming. Find what you want and go do it. I like that. I like that it's a little bit aggressive in that sense. And honestly, it's one of the few musical theater quotes that I would like tattoo on my body permanently once I get over my fear of needles and pain. Mm. 
And to our listeners, I just want to say nothing that you want in life is ever too out of reach. Mm -hmm. You got this. If you dream it, you can be it. You can do it. We believe in you. Go get them, Tiger. And with that, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We had so much fun talking all things Rocky Horror with you. I love geeking yes. out with you guys in our little podcast episodes. Anyway, join us for our next podcast release on Halloween. Halloween. We have cooked up something so special and spooky for you. And I'm I'm so excited to share it. So tune in. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. Also, if you want to continue your uh, Rocky Horror fun, I encourage you to check out Scott Michaels from Dearly Departed Tours. He has a whole bunch of Rocky Horror videos on his YouTube channel. He also wrote a book about it. He's been there since the beginning. So I got a lot of these facts from those videos. So yeah, definitely check that out. And as always, don't forget to break break a a leg. leg. See you soon. Bye.